This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and Yukon Health Orthopedic and Sports Medicine. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information and we answer all of your health questions. I'm Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be with you this morning for what is our 54th consecutive program in dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, as always, um, we like to look at what has evolved and some of the implications of the pandemic. And uh, as we emerge from the pandemic, uh, and our isolation, uh, we're trying to get back to what we would define as a new normal. And uh, for many of us, one of those things is unwanted weight gain that may have happened during the pandemic. And that's why today our guest is going to be Dr. Charles Cavo. Dr. Cavo uh, is the founder uh, and the chief medical officer for a group called Pounds Transformation. And uh, he is a medical doctor, and he uh, really looks at lifestyle and wellness. And I thought it was a good opportunity to get him on and, and chat with us uh, today. As we gradually emerge from this pandemic, uh, you can see that we're starting to abandon the use of masks and the social distancing and hand washing. Remember, those, those were the only things we could do when things first started some 14 months ago, right? Mass, social distance, hand washing. Well, as more and more people get vaccinated, we've been able to abandon those things. But guess what's back? The common cold, uh, something we haven't seen in a very long time. I mean, throughout last year, I was talking to uh, my son-in-law, who's a pediatrician. He didn't see one case of, of the flu. And we certainly had fewer common colds. So what has that told us? That's told us that these three basic public health measures can keep us healthier throughout the year. Now, I'm not saying we need to walk around with masks the whole time. But there's probably a good balance in between. That being spending more time washing your hands spending more time being careful in crowded places. And especially if you're not feeling well, you know, you're starting to get a little bit of the sniffles, a little bit of a raspy throat, uh, maybe it's worth throwing a mask on. People aren't going to think that's odd anymore. And it certainly would keep people around you safer. So it's something we need to keep in mind. Last night I was working at Mohegan Sun at Ringside uh, for the Bellator uh, Mixed Martial Arts event. And it was interesting because this was my first time back where masks were not required of the audience or of casino patrons. And that is inclusive of employees who have been vaccinated. So if you've been vaccinated, it's safe to go about without a mask. 
we still maintain a bubble of sorts around the ring itself. So when we are at ringside, uh, Viacom, CBS, requires us to wear masks, which adds to more and more confusion. But one of the questions that's come up is, well, if a person has had COVID and they have antibodies to COVID-19, why do they need to get the vaccine? And if they don't get the vaccine, why aren't they entitled to have the same freedoms of someone who has gotten the vaccine? Uh, especially when it comes to attending events and, and things like of that sort. And the answer is, is fairly simple from the standpoint that, first of all, when you had COVID-19, we don't know how much of an antibody response you've had. It's not something that's objective and measurable when someone has had the illness itself. The other key is something we've talked about on this program called sterilizing immunity, meaning your ability to spread the virus to others. So it's not clear who, if anyone, who had COVID before cannot spread the virus to other people if they get a variant or some other change in it. Whereas those of us who have been vaccinated, we now know that your body produces enough antibodies to create a situation of sterilizing immunity in that you cannot spread the virus to others, thus obviating any need for further testing if you're fully vaccinated. So that's the important distinction between folks who have had COVID-19 and those who have been vaccinated against COVID-19. And we'll talk later about some of the variants. We're hearing all about the Delta variant, the B1617, the B117. So I'll, I'll try to untangle some of the confusion that's out there about the variants and how they affect things. One of the things we like to look for, look at is the scoreboard. And our scoreboard here in the United States is, unfortunately, uh, a growing number of deaths. We're now over 596,000 deaths in the United States. So we're rapidly approaching 600,000 um, people who have died as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. The good news is our positivity rate for the United States is now down to 1.8%. When we look at the numbers of people who have been vaccinated, people who have gotten a first dose of the vaccine, uh, we're up to 51.9%, and 42.6% of the United States is fully vaccinated. The number of deaths is dramatically lower. Now, I, I believe our daily average is like 340. Uh, we remember in January when that number was as high as 4,000. When we get to Connecticut, we have a, a number where we're more than 64% of the state has been given at least one dose and more than 55% are fully vaccinated. Our rate has slowed here in Connecticut to the point where we've dropped down to fourth place. So ahead of us are Vermont, Massachusetts, and Hawaii in terms of percentage of the state population that has been vaccinated. And those percentages are of the entire state. 
of Connecticut residents who are over the age of 65, uh, we have reached a level of 90.2%. So more than 90% of people over the age of 65 have now been fully vaccinated against COVID-19. And our positivity rate here in Connecticut has now dropped to 0.66%. Again, you know, we were happy when we got down to 3%, finally 1%. So for the last two weeks, we have really been cruising below 1%. And that's key. That positivity rate is key, and it's important to continue to monitor. And we talked about that. Why, who's getting tested? People are getting tested for diagnostic purposes, surveillance purposes, and screening purposes. So, again, important. We're really looking at that surveillance to see what areas of the state where we're starting to see more positivity or less. This day in medicine, June 12, 1888, was the first account of the removal of a spinal cord tumor. Very interesting. It was done by Dr. William Gowers and Dr. Victor Horsley. Uh, Dr. Gowers was once described as the greatest neurologist of all time. And uh, Dr. Horsley was a famous neurosurgeon in that era. It's interesting because, I mean, it's something that's done fairly routinely now in terms of the removal of masses and tumors that affect the spinal cord. So I'd like to reflect on that. Uh, I find it fascinating that it was done that long ago and how rudimentary that was. And yet we have moved along so well in terms of surgery on the spinal cord, doing intraoperative monitoring, standpoint of anesthesia, uh, really uh, how medicine has progressed. It's always good to look back on that. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back to talk a little bit more about the different variants of COVID-19 and how they may affect us. We're going to talk about some of my experiences with athletes in general, and we're going to touch on vaccinating children. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. It's great to be with you. Up. One of the things we're hearing a lot about is variants and variants of the COVID-19 virus, uh, the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And uh, as a refresher, we've discussed on this program, variants of the virus come about as the virus finds a host. So remember, the virus itself isn't a living thing. It needs a host, and it finds us as the host to let it live. So the more people who become infected, the more the virus becomes energized and can change its genetic structure to become more, as we say, virulent. And in those cases, um, it becomes more transmissible and more dangerous. And that's why it's important for us to suppress this virus as quickly as we can. So the latest a variant is called the Delta vi variant. It's the B1617 variant that has been of concern. It is now the dominant form of the virus that's being seen in Great Britain. Our good fortune is that our existing vaccines do work against this virus. 
but they don't work as efficiently. In a study published this week in The Lancet, they found that the Pfizer vaccine was 33% effective against this virus in one dose. And again, it stresses why you need to get two doses, because when you get the second dose, it's now 88% effective. So that means uh, you have, it means 12 people in 100 will contract this form of the virus. But again, typically those people have no symptoms. The reason this becomes a big issue is in Britain, they didn't have enough vaccine. So they decided that they would give everybody only one shot of the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine and delay the second shot as long as they could until they could replenish their stockpile. So in many cases, it became a period where people were waiting months for their second shot. Now, it's recommended, it was recommended for the Pfizer vaccine to get the second shot uh, three weeks after the first and for Moderna one month after it. That doesn't mean that it's ineffective if you get it later. So they, they took a risk in Britain, and that's why we have this information regarding how virulent this variant is. So, it, again, it impresses upon us the importance of getting vaccinated. It also impresses upon us the importance of the entire world getting vaccinated. Because think of it. We believe that the Delta variant developed in India. Okay? And now it's starting to spread. It's here in the United States as well. But it's important that we take a worldwide position against this virus. And that's why it's good to know that the United States will now buy 500 million Pfizer doses and donate them worldwide, with the rest of our allies buying another 500 million, so now we're up to a billion. Again, it's really just scratching the surface. So we can move right through that and really wipe this out as, mess, as best we can. Now, I work a lot with athletes, and, and, and athletes are an interesting group of people. Um, from the standpoint that, you know, they, they make their living based on their ability to perform and to be in their best physical condition. But they're also very superstitious. Um, they're concerned about their image politically and on social media. So they're not necessarily the best population to look at for medical advice. Nevertheless, everybody's looking at the NFL, the NBA, and, and baseball players uh, in terms of who are getting vaccinated and who aren't. Baseball has probably had the biggest uh, percentage of their athletes as far as major sports in terms of getting vaccinated. I think despite uh, some uh, advertisements or some articles about the NFL and people refusing to be vaccinated, I, I think they're going to come around um, as, as they see this. 
When we look at it, though, when we look at the whole population, uh, one study showed that about three-fifths of the country, the United States, are going to be vaccinated. There's another fifth that are hesitant and still asking questions. And one of the questions I get asked about, I got asked about it again last night, was, you know, I want to wait to see what the effects of the vaccine are going to be long term. My response to that is, aren't you curious about what the effects of the virus are going to be long term? I mean, we know one effect of the virus is death. But there are long-term effects of the virus itself. So if you took that argument where I want to wait, in that waiting period, you have to judge the risk versus the benefit, right? So the risk of getting the virus long-term versus the benefit of getting the vaccine long-term. We have good experience in using vaccines and certainly millions and millions of people have received this vaccine already and we've not seen any death so if we just look at one complication of the virus being death you get the vaccine so it's interesting to hear that argument and and people who ask that generally are in the hesitant group as opposed to the last fifth of people who are just not going to get it, no matter what, for whatever reason. Um, typically, it's, it's political. Maybe it could be fear. I don't know. But uh, that 20%, that one-fifth, we're clearly not going to get to. But we need to. And we need to have an open dialogue with everybody on this topic because it is so important for our country, for our young people, and the world in general. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with my guest in the second half hour, Dr. Charles Cavo. He is the co-founder and chief medical officer for Pounds Transformation. Uh, We want to find out a little bit about his method and how he approaches patients in terms of weight loss, but also general wellness, right? It's something that we need to talk more about in this country is wellness, not necessarily talking all the time about disease. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. Welcome back to Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be with you. Um, And it's great to welcome my guest. Uh, My guest today is Dr. Charles Cavo. Uh, Dr. Cavo is the co-founder and chief medical officer of Pounds Transformation. Uh, This is a a group that I have become aware of uh, through um, people who I have encountered uh, and uh, who have been uh, patients of Dr. Cavo and uh, participated in this program. So I I thought it would be worthwhile to get uh, more information about it, especially with so many people complaining that they have put on weight during the pandemic. Charlie, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. Um, Can you explain to our listeners, how would you describe Pounds Transformation? So Pounds is a different way, I think, of approaching people who are suffering from abnormal weight gain. Um, A lot of people are thinking that 
It's a problem with their willpower. They're overeating, under-exercising. And the truth of the matter is the majority of people that we see who are having issues with their weight are like comorbid um, conditions associated with their weight. They're already eating so little and they're starving on the inside. And through lab panels and blood work, good history taking, assessing what kind of medications they're on and what kind of medical problems they have, you really can get to the diagnosis of um, what's causing people to have weight problems. And I think that connecting them to the diagnosis and having them appreciate that and getting them to, to really know more allows them to do better. Um, and so that's, that's kind of our approach. We don't, we don't really use the um, box foods or things that aren't sustainable because the majority of the people can use regular food from grocery stores and we teach them how to eat for their conditions and things work out for them. So what can what are the typical conditions that you uncover as you're doing I I guess what could be best described as a metabolic workup? Yeah, it is a metabolic workup. In fact, it's funny that you said that we we call ourselves metabolic rehabilitation specialists because that's really what we're doing is um rehabbing people um to become healthier and the majority of the people that we see will have an underlying issue with a hormone called insulin. <clears throat> and that can be tested through blood work and, again, through some history taking. But the blood work really helps seal the deal on people that have high insulin levels, and then we help them understand that. There are also some other hormonal abnormalities that we'll see or some medical problems that we'll see. But by far and away, the problem that a lot of people are suffering from is insulin. It's funny you mentioned that because there was just an article in the New England Journal of Medicine that I looked at uh, where they used an oral hypoglycemic medication, if I'm if I'm correct, um, in in addition to uh, weight reduction or just using the medication in people who are non-diabetic. Am I right there? Yeah, there's some really good medications that are out there that we can use to help people with high levels of insulin. Um, and you don't have to be a diabetic to um, really see benefits from these medications because as you're giving them the medications, uh, you're helping people become more uh, sensitive to insulin rather than resistant, which will reduce the amount of insulin they have, and that allows more uh, fat to be liber liberated from a fat cell. So, yeah, there are definitely some some medications that are out there now that we can use um, and uh, they definitely are beneficial for patients who are willing to give them a shot. So you already touched on on getting blood work and doing a metabolic workup. But, and, and I hate to use the word typical because I don't think there is a typical program um, or a, a typical approach to a patient. But um, is, if someone comes to your establishment, um, what, what kind of thing could they expect? What, what's the procedure? Seeing you, I'm sure, um, and then... I see your staff, you have a lot of dietitians and other professionals who are involved in wellness. Yeah, definitely. And, and you hit the nail on the head with regards to typical because I think that's where a lot of the problem uh, stems from that we're seeing with, you know, such a high prevalence of obesity is people are all looking to sort of have the same plan and, and solve a problem where everybody really needs their own individual sort of workup. But that being said, um, yeah, the majority of our patients who come in to see us, if they've already had um, physicals from their primary doctors, a lot of times we can take a look at those labs and see certain ratios or findings within those labs that 
may have um, not been appreciated as being abnormal. So we can look at those labs or we'll just order our own. Um, and the panels that we get are typically looking at a lipid panel with cholesterol, a panel that looks at um, a metabolic sort of profile. And uh, we also um, usually look at somebody's insulin uh, level and that we can sort of calculate so a math equation, whether or not they have insulin resistance. Everybody has some other hormones looked at, like a thyroid checkup and that kind of thing. But so probably the first part a patient can expect when they come to see us is going to be lab work or we're going to review the labs with them and tell them what we think might be going on. And um, after they see one of the providers um, after the first visit, depending on what we find with their lab work, we try to get people organized with regards to how um, we think that they might be better off eating, so giving them a good variety of foods to have and um, some uh, scheduled kind of time to eat works out well before they come back a week later to meet with the dietitians. And then um, when they meet with the dietitians, we sort of decide with regards to how we want to implement our um, sort of behavioral change programs and uh, food programs with the patient really depends on you know, do they have family around? Are they working third shift? Are they working any shift? Uh, so a lot of thought goes into um, where people will go after the second visit. The first visit is with a provider, one of the providers, and the second visit is with a dietitian. And then the majority of the um, visits after that will be with dietitians until um, there's a medical need for them to see a provider again. Uh, and and wanted to be clear, insurance pays for all this. In other words, people who have health insurance uh, will typically pay for this lab work. This is not some bizarre lab work uh, that you only do in the basement of your office or something like that. This is these are all acceptable standard of care practices that insurance will pay for. Correct. This is totally standard of care practice. So, you know, the AMA uh, stated that obesity was a, a medical problem, and as such, should be diagnosed as a medical code, and we use um, blood work that is paid for by insurance, and the um, appointments are covered by insurance also. Depending on the plan, um, patients can expect to, you know, pay a copay like they would when they see a physician. Um, a lot of the plans have um, packages where they have a certain amount of times they can see a dietitian, and also um, a lot of plans have preventative medicine, which is what a lot of what we do is preventative, so we use um, that also. But, yeah, about 90, probably 98% of our patients are um, are seen through their insurance. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back with my guest, Dr. Charles Cavo. We're talking about weight loss after the COVID-19 pandemic. When we get back, we're going to be talking a little bit about some of his biggest challenges and greatest accomplishments. And we're also going to talk a little bit about obesity surgery, something we hear an awful lot about. And if you want to get information to me or questions, you can email me at info at alessimd.com. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and my guest today is Dr. Charles Cavo. Dr. Cavo is the co-founder and chief medical officer of Pounds Transformation. 
If you wish to reach uh, Dr. Cavo, the phone numbers for the West Hartford office is 860-906-1289. He also has offices in Southington and Glastonbury. Did I get that right, Charlie? Uh, yeah, you did. Thanks a lot. Okay, okay. So uh, let's get back to it. What, what would you say is your biggest challenge in your approach to patients who wish to lose weight? Ooh, that's a good one because um, everybody has such different challenges. I think that there is a lot of, um, I think a lot of people feel as though they know what to do and they just need to do it when they come in. Um, and helping them um, take a look more at 15,000 feet as what the real problems might be and um asking them to sort of hang up the um, belief that they have with regards to calories really make as big a difference as a lot of people think they do is, is um, definitely challenging just because I think the um, environment has been so calorically driven with regards to energy and, uh, and energy out ways of thinking about weight loss, which um, can't be, further from the truth. I think that's one major challenge that we have to help patients get over. And then I think that just there are a lot of habits that are established around foods and um, socialization and the thought process of having to be perfect, either all in or all out, and helping people establish a better boundary to um, manage resetting uh, hormones like insulin through dietary modifications is really uh, challenging. But with, um, you know, with time and follow-up, uh, people create new, better habits for themselves and get healthier. So I think that's probably it. Um, let's talk about surgery. Uh, so many people are going to weight loss surgery. And, and to be perfectly frank, uh, I've seen a lot of weight loss surgery failures um, in the sense that no one ever got to the root of the problem. It used to be, when it was first started, you had to see a psychologist. You had to demonstrate that you could lose weight without the surgery. And, and believe me, I, I believe that there's a need for it. There is a population uh, that may need weight loss surgery. But, you know, what are your feelings about that? I mean, clearly you've gone in another direction, but by the same token, are there patients who you do refer for weight loss surgery? Yeah, we do. I think we have a nice collaboration with the um, weight loss surgeons in the area um, after their surgeries. Uh, sometimes they'll uh, follow up with us and have uh, some um, period of time spent at pounds. And sometimes with patients that we're seeing, surgeons are asking for them to get to a certain BMI to make their surgery less risky. And we help patients do that. I think that uh, at the end of the day, with regards to surgery, I, I really think that surgery, surgery is a, a lot of times it's needed for an anatomical issue. And I think a lot of times obesity is not an anatomical issue or an anatomical fix, whereas the metabolic rehabilitation can be accomplished with identifying the problems and managing that through proper choices and interventions. I think if that fails, surgery is an option for patients. But like you said, um, there are failures with the surgery. It's by no means 
a benign sort of procedure and has its own set of risks. That being said, so does dietary modifications and a medical approach to this. So I, I just think that at the end of the day, having uh, the ability to have what works best for the individual available for them is probably the best practice. So let's talk about a different population. So many of the people listening to this program may not be obese or morbidly obese, but are just not happy with the fact that they've put on 10 or 15 pounds, um, either with COVID or or with age or seasonally. Uh, do you see those patients as well, or do you only see people who uh, are at a, a fairly extreme end of um, the uh, morbid obesity or obesity level? No, we definitely see those patients as well. I think we've got a couple patients that have been professional athletes. We've got some Ironman athletes, um, and then we've got patients that you know are really fighting for their lives with regards to metabolic dysfunction. I think the the best time to see a patient is when they've just started to recognize the fact that things are going a little bit wrong with their bodies because the train hasn't really left the station at that point. I think by the time that somebody presents with an elevated A1C, their doctors told them they've been you know, diagnosed as pre-diabetic or their cholesterol is creeping up. That's already the problem with that person. There's been smoke coming out of the engine you know, already for a few years, and um, we're already kind of behind where we should be. So seeing a patient early on with regards to just a little bit of weight loss and they're kind of concerned and wondering what's going on is an ideal time for us to become uh, familiar with uh, their lab work and help them understand uh, how to prevent chronic illnesses from creeping up on them that they don't want to have. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because as a neurologist, I see a lot of people who present with symptoms of peripheral neuropathy where they have numbness in their hands and feet. And when I do a glucose tolerance test, uh, you know, you'll start to see right away uh, those people with impaired glucose tolerance, you know, and it's relatively mild. And um, by losing weight and exercising, um, their peripheral neuropathy resolves. And, and so you can get better as opposed to uh, letting things go. So that's why I, I'm glad you brought that up. I want people to understand that just because you have some of these complications doesn't mean they're there per, you know, uh, they're going to be there permanently. Uh, Charlie, what, what's yeah, the just one? A, just, along, Go ahead. just along those lines, just to follow up, I, I, I couldn't agree more. A lot of people, I think, are under the impression now that they have high blood pressure or high cholesterol or on medications that they can't get off of those, and that's just part of getting old. And that's not part of getting old. That's part of your body sending you signals that you're doing something to it that it doesn't like. And um, the glucose tolerance test is a great test to run. I wish more people did it. Even uh, another test that we do is we, um, we challenge people with glucose just like they would with a tolerance test, but then we track their insulin. And there's something called craft curves, which you can look at craft curves by plotting people's insulin after giving them a glucose load and have a pretty good indicator as to who might be at significant risk for developing diabetes down the line if they don't get on top of this now. So really good test. I'm glad to hear that you're doing that. We don't see a lot of people doing those. Yeah, it's really key to to catching the problem early. Uh, Charlie, in closing, what's 
What's the one message you'd like to get out to everyone um, in terms of how they should cope with uh, this weight gain? What, what's the most important caveat that you have for them? I think that it's really important for people to not blame themselves and not be too hard on themselves with regards to the weight that they've gained uh, because it's not their fault. And uh, we see a lot of people blaming themselves for it. I think that having an all or none mentality is not healthy and approaching a weight issue requires a medical workup and a balance with regards to what you learn and then how you're going to intervene. And uh, those would be my messages to people. Charlie, thank you. Uh, Thank you for your time and thank you for what you're doing for our community and what you've done for my patients. Um, I really appreciate it. Uh, chatting with you has really been a breath of fresh air um, in the approach to metabolic problems and wellness. Uh, thank you again. Yeah, and thanks a lot for inviting me to do this. This is a really, um, I just wanted to acknowledge how nice it was to have somebody reach out and offer me the opportunity to, to um, introduce what it is that we're doing. So thank you very much. Thanks again. And as a reminder to everyone, um, Pounds Transformation, the phone number, 860 860- Nine zero six, one two eight nine. If you'd like to see Dr. Cavo and his group. With that, um, I want to thank Anthony Dorenzo, who's been on the board today. As always, Jeff Chandler's in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. You could always get our shows on the Healthy Rounds podcast. Next week, we're going to be chatting a little bit more, as we have in the past, about women's health and women's health issues, especially in the post-COVID era. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.